Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult in the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the horse, the house of the evildoers, and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword, not of man, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Talitha. It's good to be with you. My name is Justin. I'm from the University of Oklahoma. I work there as your campus minister. It's a privilege to be with you all. Uh, we're all Oklahomans. We're all people. Many of us have families. Uh, you, my question you might ask, why do we read Isaiah 31? Why would you pick that one of all things you could pick? Well, I'm an individual. I have a lot of responsibilities. I have people in my life that I care about. And, and you all have responsibilities, people you care about. And I look at them, and I think, I'm not qualified for this. I'm not cut out for this. Um, my wife, my four children, my job. And I look at them, and I get really nervous that I'm doing a bad job, and that God's displeased with me. And I really resonate with these people in Isaiah 31 this week that I read about. And I looked at them. I said, they're a lot like me. They want to accumulate power, be stronger, look stronger than what they are. They want people to help them and not really think about God that much. In the day-to-day, not really wrestle with who they are as people in God's image required to follow Him. And so... 
if you're like me, you spend a lot of your time in the summer or whenever thinking about college football. It's just easier not to think about your failure, your inadequacies, your weaknesses, that God might be displeased with some of the things I'm doing. And so I'm pondering the big questions of life, like who's going to win the national championship next year? Last season was cool. We had the first playoff in the history of college football, four teams. Uh, OU's biggest accomplishment last year was Katy Perry flirting with our quarterback. We didn't do well. Um, if you were to ask me who I thought would win this year, I would not say Oklahoma, unfortunately. I'd say Alabama. Ooh, it's quiet. I would say Alabama. Why? Two reasons. They've done the best job of accumulating talent over the last eight years since Nick Saban and his minions took over. They've averaged 11.4 wins a season. They've won three national championships since 2007. Five straight years they have been the composite number one ranked recruited, recruiting team. They've beaten everyone in recruiting for the last five seasons, and they've never been under 10, which is Nick Saban's first year. They've had six number one recruiting classes in those eight years. 91 wins in those eight years to 17 losses. They've got a track record. There's not a, an athlete on that team who has not been a part of the number one ranked class in the nation. They are stacked and should be the favorite going into the season. Right? That's why we took Glee last year when they lost. That was actually the biggest story for me. I don't remember who won. Alabama lost. My biggest memory in college football was, was attending the Alabama-Oklahoma game two years ago in the Sugar Bowl and seeing Oklahoma upset Alabama and Nick Saban. Um, because we all take the Nick Saban strategy of salvation. We want to get the consistently biggest, fastest players on our team to help us make it all work. We try to make life work. In the text before us, the church had done that. We're problem solvers, and there's nothing wrong with solving problems. There's nothing wrong with recruiting the best and the brightest and the greatest to work on your team, to build alliances with people, to appeal to strengths. But there's no reason why we should be embarrassed about doing such things. Nick Saban has done a great job at Alabama. Bob Soup's done a great job at OU. Let's give him his due. A lot of you have done a great job in your families and with your calls in life. But oftentimes before we pray, we Google it. We YouTube it. Prayer and repentance are reserved for desperation. Faith is reserved for desperation. Uh, before we get the lab report, um, meaning like the results of the test, I'll never forget reading Paul Miller's book on prayer, The Praying Life, in which he shocked his, his daughter by saying, look, before you do this science project and, pre and present a report, you should pray. And his daughter's like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, why should I pray for this project? Well, you want to pray for God to be with you, pray for his blessing upon it, pray that he would care for you through it, that you learn and glorify him through it. We don't think like that. We, don't, we act as if God doesn't even exist most of the time. I'm there. We believe 
championships are won through alliances. LeBron, he had Wade and Bosh, he won two. He doesn't have Kyrie, he doesn't have Love now, and he's probably not going to win. We think that's the way it works with God as well. We feel like we've got to be stronger, but that's not what God needs. God needs us to know Him. He doesn't, he, his will for us may not be that we become stronger. His will for us is for us to repent of our waywardness and our sins and our seeking after our own salvation and to go back to Him. We've got to build trust in Him, not alliances with other people. And that's where I come to this text and I look at these guys and I'm like, I'm just like them. I've got a problem and I need, to, I need horses, I need strength. If you look at verses 1 through 3 of the text, the, God's really mad at them. He's saying, woe to you. He's saying, you have messed up here. Why is he mad at them? They're, like They have these Assyrians. This is written 2,700 years bef- uh, back in the past. And the, the people of God, the church in that era, has a threat of the Assyrians. The, the biggest and baddest army are threatening them. And so they're going to enter into alliance with their neighbor, Egypt, so that Egypt can help them and rescue them from the invaders. And God is very angry with them, very angry. I don't want to discount the need for relationships, discount the need for alliances in this world, but God's very angry. Why? Far more important to their thriving than an alliance with the strongest nation is their personal repentance towards God. Far more important than, their, than making life work through alliances is personal repentance towards God. Repentance is hard, it's difficult, it's painful, and like all good things, it is difficult, hard, and painful. Any kind of training, anything, anything you do in life stru- it involves struggle. And what is repentance? The repentance is like, it is all of life, as Martin Luther would say in, in, in his thesis number one in the, in the um, 95 Theses, but what is it? It is like, it's like every day we're shot with an arrow. And what, what turning, like, what it is is we're turning from our sin, we're pulling that arrow out, which is hard, and then we're turning towards God. We're allowing Him to apply the medicine. We can't fix ourselves. We need Him to do it. And so we're, turn, we're taking that arrow out, and we're turning towards Him. First point today is we've, we've got to rely upon repentance and not other things to help us. Is that the reason we need to do that is because our sin against God is a bigger problem than our weakness before people. Our sin against God is a bigger problem than our weakness before people. God's mad because it's impossible for these people to save them. The real Lord and King of all is God. As soon as they turn their eyes on Egypt, they've turned their eyes away from God. And that's why God is angry. They have functionally trusted in a false God, another Savior. How many of us do that every day? We've got to repent of trusting in the wrong things outside of ourselves to help us. That's the first thing. Another reason God is angry with them is God has explicitly commanded them in, in the Bible in Deuteronomy 17, 16, not to enter into an alliance with Egypt. Like, explicitly, that nation is named. And they've forgotten that, 
and, and like, oh, I'm trying to make life work. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the, the most ordinary solution I can find, which God has outlawed. How many of us go to the most ordinary thing we can find, the, 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 the old paths that we know to deal with life, and just turn off the problem by going to uh, the medicine we know? The medicine we know. And that's exactly what they had. They had a neighbor here. Oh, forget the history of God had crushed this nation and set them free from slavery from it. Forget that. They've forgotten that entirely, and they're going to go back to the old medicine. They have, they, have, they have strength there. They have chariots. They have horses. They'll help us. That'll help us. They've forgotten the history there. God said, no, no, no. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to be your help. I'm going to be the one who's going to walk with you. I'm going to lead you out of slavery into freedom, into a new life. You don't need any help from these people. They don't love you. They want to enslave you. How many of us are internalizing that and thinking about the ways? We don't, have, we don't have a nation, Egypt, helping us. But we have our little Egypts, the things we do, the things we go back to, the things that God's already set us free from, but we go back towards those things. We've got to take that, that arrow and just pull it out and stop getting shot by that same arrow over and over. And we've got to turn towards God and let, us, let Him pour the medicine on, pour the blood of Jesus upon, pour His righteousness into us. We've got to commune with Him. Far more than acting like we're strong, we've got to, we've got to know our weakness. We've got to know God as our God and not just a little bit of our life, a little, a little spiritual part of our life that we practice to make ourselves better, to make ourselves appear more suitable in Oklahoma. We've got to make Him our everything. And that's the first thing. We've got to repent of seeing our problems as bigger than our problem with God. Our problem with God is that we've got to get into His righteousness. We've got to get to Him and, and be holy as He's holy. But we would much rather be up here strong than to admit we're weak. And so your most important task every day, my most important task, is to spend time with Christ. That is more important than finding the right person to help you. It is more important. Why? It makes you more aware of your sin, and it makes you more aware of the good news as well, that God is more full of mercy than you are full of sin. We read it earlier. If you remember nothing from the sermon, just take page six out of your worship program and just read that confession daily and think about the ways, oh, I haven't been loving. And then read Ephesians 3 and say, look, there is no length I could run away from Him which God's love can't find me. His love is going to get me. There's no, there's no depth I could go down into where I could hide from Him and be dirty and unclean and He can't bring me out of it. His love is going to rescue me. And how am I going to know and believe that if I'm thinking about my problems and college football and trying to distract myself, if I'm not spending any time meditating upon His grace and my sin? I have to know Him. I've got, and that's repentance. It's taking the arrow out and letting Him pour the medicine on. They needed that far more than they needed Egypt, and so do we. That's the first task. Second point of why we need repentance in our life more than we need an alliance with, strong, with strength, is that God, the God we turn to in the Bible and the true God, is better than any friend, relationship, or alliance. First is that 
Our sin's a bigger problem than our, the problems we experience in the day to day. But really, the God who helps us is greater than any help we could see and find in this life either. That's the second point. Verse 2, it says that only God is wise. We think God isn't wise. We think God was asleep when he put us in this problem or with this addiction or with this family or in this job, just anything. We think God is not wise, but it says God is wise. It says, and yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise at the time, at the day appointed. He is not asleep. This is part of his wisdom for you. The problems and the struggles you and I are going through and, and the, the doubt we're experiencing is part of his plan for us, y'all. That is how God works. He's wise. And that doesn't mean giving us everything we want right away. He is better than that. You don't believe me? Just watch this. Look at verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey. Now, what is he talking about lions here? Okay, like, okay, so this is an image he's using to say, you think God's not able to help you? He's like a lion, the most terrifying beast these people knew, and shepherds have no chance against him. The lion can take their sheep anytime they want, and the lion's growling over that prey, and the shepherds are helpless. Egypt's helpless. Assyria is helpless. Your struggles, your enemies, the things, the addictions, and the idolatry in your life, they're helpless. They're dumb. They are unable to conquer this God. He's like the lion. Secondly, he's like the birds, hovering so that the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Y'all, God was a helicopter parent before helicopter parenting was cool. He was hovering over them. He was the bird. He's like the birds. He's like the, he's like the lion and he's like the eagle. He's strong and he's involved. He's with us. He is better than any help we could find. And how are we going to discover that? Repentance, y'all. Repentance. We need repentance more than we need a helper. More than we need to improve ourselves. God's will for us may be weak. Maybe to be weak. Maybe not to be the conquerors of all of our challenges. And then through that, we're a part of this body, and we're going to be a part of something bigger than our own conquering our, our own struggles. And your weakness is going to assist somebody because God's going to be the, the glorious thing that's lifted up. And it's going to inspire others to trust Him and to follow Him. You can be honest about your weaknesses. You can be honest about those things because God is bigger than any help you can find. And let's be honest about that God. Let's tell each other about that God all the time. Just consult the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So for us to deny that and to, and, to, and to sort of functionally live as deists, functionally live as if God's not with me and God's not strong enough and God's not hovering over me, is wicked. That is absolutely wicked. We need to repent over that, that we functionally ignore Him and seek medication and self-salvation all the time rather than true salvation through Christ alone. We have got to, to turn away from that with disgust. That cannot be normative for, for you and me who call ourselves Christians and have faith in Jesus. That is wrong. We've got to consult the Lord. Look, for, for us to turn to Egypt, when, when God himself in this text calls himself the Holy One of Israel, that's like saying, 
I'm the holy one of Justin. And Justin's looking to something else. Approval, acceptance, significance to be the thing that saves him. Rather than that God himself identifies himself with me. The holy one of Justin. The holy one of you. He, you are his. He loves you. He's with you. That's the second point there, that God, we turn to in repentance. The one who pours out the medicine is better than any friend, relationship, reliance we could ever, ever have. We're nothing. I, I'll never forget, um, you know, um, is it TJ in the back doing the, uh, is it Michael? Michael, who's doing the sound, right? Eric, I'm so sorry. Um, thank you. Forgive me. So, he, he, I, I, we were joking beforehand and saying, hey, make me sound good now. You know, make me sound good. I'll never, I'm, a, I'm a child of the early 90s, and in the early 90s, Mariah Carey was the best singer in the world, the, or certainly most famous. She was known for her high you know, notes she could hit. I'll never, Facebook has made this just horrible for me. To, I mean, to take all my illusions of Mariah Carey and, and just crush them. I'll never forget seeing Mariah Carey sing All I Want for Christmas is You, with no auto-tune, just the live, raw sound. And I'm telling you, I could do it better than her. She has fallen apart. Or maybe she was sick that day. It was awful. When you compare us to each other, yeah, some of us are good, some of us are worse at other things, like some of us are better singers, some of us are better at running. Usain Bolt's better at running than I am by a long shot. But Usain Bolt's going to get old, Mariah Carey's going to get old. Usain Bolt's knees are going to go. Mariah Carey's gone. Like, God is eternal. He's better than the things that satisfy you. I look at the college students all the time, and, they're, and they're, their lives are changing day to day. Their friends are changing day to day. You can't, you, got, you can't keep up with it. Relationships that were so important five days ago are now no more. How, I, I, I've never, I, I could... I've probably had a hundred, in ten years of campus ministry, I've said a hundred times, oh, how's it going with so-and-so? How's it going with Johnny? He's like, oh, we broke up. Like, like things are changing. Relationships change. The things that bring us joy and the things that we think, feel like we can't live without change. But the truth, true person we can't live without, the true relationship we can never live without is with our creator, with our protector, with our helicopter eagle parent, our true heavenly father, with the lion of Israel, with a lion who's also the lamb. So if we're going to take all of our uh, eggs and put it in other baskets besides the Lord, that's bad. Third point here, God's better, our sin's worse, but God of the Bible is to be feared before men. God of the Bible is to be feared before men. Look back at your, at your uh, verses there, and it says, look, God is the one who will bring judgment. Just quickly, I want to summarize this by saying, look, in Isaiah 37 and 38, or 36, in 2 Kings 19, 35, it says, God in a night killed 185,000 Assyrians in their tents. And we're worried that the Assyrians are going to get us. God killed thousands of Egyptian soldiers in the distant past for these people. To be against God is to be in a terrible place of judgment, where judgment's coming. But the good news is that God doesn't turn his wrath towards those who are in Christ, does he? 
He poured it all out upon Jesus. Jesus is our sin. It says He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God through faith. Jesus will bear the curse of the sin that the angel of death brought. He's going to be that 185,000 Syrian, Assyrian um, armies in the tents upon the cross for me. He's taken all of my sin, all my Egyptian armies that I rely upon, all that that's within my heart. And you know what? When, when I capture that, I'm going to smash the idols. When I see that Jesus really does touch the depths of my heart, and I don't have to be strong enough, I don't have to be good enough for him, that that is going to bring outward fruit for me when you believe this. You're going to start smashing the idols, as it says in the text you'll do. Turn to him, people, for in that day everyone will cast away his idols, his idols of gold that your hands have sinfully made. Not the sword of man is God's, it's God's job. It's not horses, it's not the, the swords, it's God. God is the one who's going to bring about your salvation. So what we've got to do here is we've got to know that it's not about what you have, friends. It's about who you have. In God, what we have is repentance. We can take the arrow out and we can turn towards Him. Not turning to new obedience. Not turn to, oh, I've got, to, I've got to do a lot of right things to make Him impressed. No, I turn towards Him. And He's going to apply the medicine. And He's going to make me holy as Christ is holy turning towards him. He's going to conquer my enemies. Though I've messed it up, I've made, a mis- I've made mistakes, we've got to acknowledge what we are. We've got to acknowledge what we are. Let's, um, let me pray for you and for me. We'll wrap it up and we'll take go to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have made messes of feeling like we have to be strong and we distrust you and you are good to us still. You abide with us still. And you call us to smash the idols. You call us to repentance. Lord, will you make us those who turn, take, that, take that knife out of us. Take those self-inflicted wounds and the wounds we have by, from others. Though there's worry, there's concern about what it's going to mean for us when we don't go back to those old Egypts and we turn to you. Lord, Think, let, let us fill our ma- imaginations with what it is like to run to you and what you'll do in us. And as we pray those re- prayer requests, would you be faithful and good and kind? Would you be that lion? Would you be that bird to us? Would you be with us? And would you bless us, we pray. Even now as we go to the table, in Christ's name, amen.